This is God's Word. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Jeanette. It's a great Bible reading. Well, I know many of you are excited to begin gathering soon, as, as, all, as you've just heard from us. You know, in general, I was thinking about this. What causes you to be happy? What causes you to be grateful? What creates lasting joy in your life? Is it when everything is going well? Maybe you've got the job that you've wanted. Uh, perhaps the holiday that you've been anticipating is coming up soon. Uh, maybe your favorite sports team is doing well. How about seeing others mature in their faith? Well, yes. I mean, you know, after all, we're doing a live stream, so you hear others mature in their faith, and you say, yeah, that, that would be a good one. How about giving sacrificially, as it were, to see the spread of the gospel? Today's passage is a real letter written to real people by this man named Paul, who came to this city called Philippi. And when he writes to this church that's meeting in Philippi, he is overjoyed. And it's a really lovely, warm text. Did you see Has Jeanette just read that? It, it's, he's, you know, he's filled of joy. He's saying how much he cares for them. You can immediately see the love that Paul has for this congregation. The, this group of people are simply more than just Facebook friends, and maybe he puts a little like on there, a smiley or a, some kind of emoji. These are people that he's done life with over the years. These are people that he has a true partnership with in the gospel. And so Paul praises God because of this. He thanks God. He's overflowing with joy because of this partnership, this fellowship that he shares with this church and because of their future perseverance. Paul's just bursting with joy when he contemplates on these two realities. His main thought in this opening section is, I thank God for you all. And there's multiple reasons. If you, keep, if you, read, if you have a chance, read through. It's four chapters. You can read through all of Philippians. But there's multiple reasons why he thanks God for them. But here, with the text set before us this morning, I want to focus on just two. Number one, this is a prayer of joy in light of present fellowship. And second, progressive perseverance. The main point here is that Paul praises God for the Philippians' current fellowship and future perseverance. He's filled with joy when he considers 
these two realities. That's where we're headed this morning, folks. Let's look to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll unpack those points together. Gracious God, thank you again for the reminder that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it into the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, we could never finish the race without your grace. Even this morning, Lord, our minds are prone to wander and be distracted and think about other things, maybe click other stuff on the computer. Help us to hear clearly from you as your word is taught. Holy Spirit, would you do the miraculous for sinners like us? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to unpack those two points, right? The idea of this fellowship, this current present fellowship that he has, and then additionally, this progressive perseverance. But I want to just note two things. If you look there in your Bible, I want us to see two quick things, two thoughts here, in verses three through four. First is the direction of Paul's prayer. And second is the impartiality of his prayer. Look at verse 3 for the direction. It's God word and its orientation. Look at verse 3. You see what I mean? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. You see how his prayer, he immediately thanks God. He doesn't talk about himself. Did you notice that there? In fact, it's not even until verse 12 that Paul even notes his situation. He says, you know, look, I'm, I'm in a Roman prison. And I want you to know that what has happened to me, being chained up, being locked up, being incarcerated, it's actually served to advance the gospel itself. You just think, wow, that, that's incredible. Twelve verses later, you know, no, no selfies for Paul, as it were, right? He's immediately thinking about them. And, and he even says, and even in my current situation, I'm chained to a Roman, you just imagine him in a, in a dungeon, as it were, chained to a Roman officer. And if you're chained to the Apostle Paul, I don't think he's probably talking about the weather. I don't think he's probably talking about who won the footy game last night. For four-hour shifts, he's getting new Roman guards, and he's going to tell them they, they don't have anywhere else to go. He's got an audience, as it were. And he just says, look, I, I can share the gospel because of my chains with these Roman guards. And let's say you know, quote, worst case scenario, they kill me, that's all right. To me, to live as Christ and die as gain, I get to go to heaven. That's what he's talking about. And he knows, he knows that the Philippian church would hear that and rejoice with him because they have this partnership, this true fellowship with him. Notice in verse four though too, so, so that's the direction, it's God word. And verse four, notice the unbiased posture. Did you, did you hear that? the unbiased posture in verse 4. He says, always, so let's start in verse 3 again, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Every remembrance, every time, every prayer, every one of you. The words all and always there are repeated. Paul praises God for this entire church, catch this, without exception, not just the people that he liked, 
or the people that were easy to get along with. He praises God for them all. I don't think it's the main point of the text, but there is a principle here that I don't want us to miss. It's been a decade. It's been 10 years since Paul has actually seen. You think we haven't gathered for a long time. Imagine 10 years. It's been 10 years since Paul has seen and gathered with this church in Philippi. And through the Holy Spirit, as he reflects back on them, he is able to think about the positive memories. Does that make sense? He's able to think about this Philippian church in a way that brings him joy. Because, and, and it's not a perfect church, by the way. Because you think, oh, wow, wish I could find a church like that. I mean, look, don't you know that little tiff that was happening with the two ladies, Iodia and Syntyche? That's why Paul says, I plead with Iodia, I plead with Syntyche. Look, hey, agree in the Lord. That happens in chapter 4. Or even in chapter 1, he, he encourages them, strive side by side in one spirit, one mind for the faith of the gospel. This was not a perfect church. You know, it, there is no perfect church. If we're honest, in a sinful world, all churches fall short and disappoint. There is no perfect church, and if there was, you would go there and ruin it, like me. So, it's easy, it's easy to become pessimistic and cynical when we've been hurt or disillusioned by a church or by an individual member. And Wyoming Church of Christ, as well as every local church, is made up of different personality types, and people will come to this church and be a part of it with various idiosyncrasies, as it were. There's nothing abnormal about that. That's every church. But in a sinful, fallen world, inevitably, personalities crash against each other. Or communication can be like two ships passing in the night. Or if we're honest, there are people here at this church. Yes, you, you, you say, this is my church, I'm a part of this church. But let's be honest, there are people here at this church that just simply drive you bananas. Okay? I'm going to name five of them myself right now. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> it's all right, honey. My wife probably just cringed as she was watching this. So... Here's the principle, though. I think there's a principle here that we can catch. We can view that person that drives us bananas as a sinner saved by God's grace and who is growing in maturity just like us. We can view this person through a Christian lens, as it were, a gospel lens, as someone that we share a true partnership with, and we can pray for them. As Paul says, praise for every one of them, right? All of them. There was a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who lived years ago, and he wrote this book called Life Together. It's a fascinating little bit here that I want to read to you. And, and he, he calls, he talks about how praying for others can actually change us. I don't know if you've experienced that, but when you begin praying for someone, it actually, God does a work on your own heart. He calls this intercession, which simply means praying to God. Listen to what he says. He says, a Christian fellowship 
lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. His face, that hitherto, meaning up to this time, may have been strange and intolerable to me, is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. This is a happy discovery for the Christian who begins to pray for others. There is no dislike, no personal tension, no estrangement that cannot be overcome by intercession as far as our side of it is concerned. Intercessory prayer is the purifying bath into which the individual and the fellowship must enter every day. The struggle we undergo with our brother in intercession may be a hard one, but that struggle has the promise that it will gain its goal. And then Bonhoeffer asked this, how does this happen? Intercession means no more than to bring our brother into the presence of God, to see him under the cross of Jesus as a poor human being and sinner in need of grace. Then everything in him that repels us falls away. We see him in all his destitution and need. His need and his sin become so heavy and so oppressive that we feel them as our own. And we can do nothing else but pray, Lord, do thou, thou alone, deal with him according to thy severity and thy goodness. To make intercession means to grant our brother the same right that we have received, namely, to stand before Christ and share in his mercy. I found this so convicting when I was in Bible college because there was a guy, Christian brother, that I worked with at a furniture store who, let's just say he was contrarian and he was very patronizing. And I remember driving home from work, clenching the steering wheel, just basically murdering the guy in, in my heart. You know, you know what I mean? I just, I, I couldn't stand the guy. Well, pastor, you did that? Dude, I'm just a human, just like any of the rest of you, okay? But what's Bonhoeffer saying here? You know, it's very easy for us, especially when you're angry at someone within the local church, you begin to build a case in your head. Do you always notice, too, that every time when you're sitting there driving and you're thinking about it and you think about an argument, you always win the argument? You know, like, yeah, you know, take that. And, and the person goes, I'm so sorry. And, and you've got this whole thing playing out in your head. Is that helpful? No. What's Bonhoeffer saying? What's Paul doing to the Philippians? Praying for all of them. And as you pray for this person, even if that thing that really drives you nuts about this individual, you're praying specifically that God would work in their life, that the Lord would, as he's been gracious to you, by the way, and with all your idiosyncrasies, with all of the times, and, and little do you know, you might be that person to someone else, by the way, and that the Lord is working, sanctifying, growing you. That's why Paul, he prays for them without exception. His great love for them is evident. Look at it again. The words are striking, aren't they? Verse 4, Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer. And notice, with joy. For you all making my prayer with joy. When Paul prays for them, he does so with joy. Many consider this word joy to be the main theme of the letter. 14 different, uh, sorry, 16 different times 
he uses that word joy. Here it's actually marked for emphasis. We can't really see this in our English Bibles, but in Greek it reads very awkward. I was sharing this with my kids just this morning. It sounds something like Yoda here, right? Something like, if, if you were just to read it in Greek, it's something like, I, I, I got to impersonate it, sorry. This is like Mandalorian, although he doesn't talk. He's a baby Yoda. This is adult Yoda, okay? Mm, with joy, the prayer making you, right? With joy, the prayer making you. That's, I don't know anyone that talks like that but it's marked for emphasis. Here's um, New American Standard Bible, which is a bit wooden and literal. It, look, look how it says this. It says, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. I don't know anyone that talks like that. That's a bit clunky, but the emphasis there, you see how the NASB, it, it captured it, didn't it? Paul's, what's the point though? Beyond all the Yoda stuff and NASB, Paul's absolutely ecstatic, isn't he? Kind of like when you have friend with a coffee, or sorry, friend with a coffee. <laughs> kind of like, I need another coffee, apparently. Kind of like when you have coffee with a friend and they won't stop smiling, right? And you've got a little grin on their face and you're like, hey, what, what's up? Why, why are you so happy? That's Paul's posture for this whole church without exception. Praise for them with joy. And why does he do, why does he do that? Is he just, is this sort of just best mates? Is this just like, you know, he just can't get enough of this church? Maybe, I'm sure he's got some friends there, but there's a reason for it. And here's the reason. Why is he so enthusiastic when he prays for this church? Why are you so elated, Paul? He's thanking God for them, not because he thinks they're cool or he has some social connection with them, or that they sort of meet a felt need of his? No, no, no. He thanks God in a way that highlights their shared partnership in the gospel. That's the point. See that in verse 5? He says, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's why he is so stoked, so excited, so happy. It's not because he's like, oh, I just want to go connect and have, you know, a cup of tea with these guys. No, no, no. All that aside, you know, there might even be personality. I'm, this is a bit of conjecture on my point. There might be people that it's hard for him to get along with or vice versa there. Let's be honest. It's a sinful world. It's not like, you know, these are like, you know, Marvel comic days where, you know, Paul has superpowers or something. I mean, he's an apostle, but he's still a sinner. And, and so he's able to pray with joy for every single one of them because one reason, their partnership in the gospel. See that phrase in your Bible? Now, how do we interpret that phrase? Two different ways people look at that. What does partnership in the gospel mean? Does it mean that they are giving money, contributing to what Paul is doing? Or does it mean a shared faith in Christ? What do you think it means? Contributing money or sharing faith in Jesus? Well, let's, let's look at the first one. that Because some people think that that's actually the whole point that Paul wrote this letter. Was he's thanking them for this part. And the partnership being this enterprise that they're united in together uh, to basically support Paul. Look in chapter 4, just real quick. Chapter 4, verse 15. 
This is the idea of interpreting partnership as a financial contribution. And it's pretty convincing, at least here, because look what he says in verse 15. And you Philippians, chapter 4, verse 15, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Well, that's pretty convincing there, isn't it? There's, he certainly is talking about a joint commitment to an enterprise that they have supported. Um, they displayed interest in the gospel through their sacrificial support. It's always good to give to missionaries, isn't it? In fact, the people who believe that the main reason Paul wrote this letter was to acknowledge the gift of money to this church, they say, look, look no doubt this is, this is what he's saying. And it's true to a point, is it not? But certainly this is not the only reason for his thanksgiving. His main concern would not be his material support. He was content in whatever circumstance, right? Their partnership went far beyond their pocketbooks. Surely he celebrates their shared faith in Christ as well. Perhaps he rejoices because their giving overflows from their conversion. Now, if you look back, go back in your Bible to chapter 1 again. If you look back at chapter 1, verse 5, it is at least conceivable that the context here seems to point to the subject of a shared faith of salvation. Because look what he says. He says, he doesn't just leave you hanging. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day and out, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, so is it giving money? Or, sorry, I'm looking at people in this room. <laughs> is it, just look at you, is it giving money or is it shared faith? I reckon it's actually both. Let me give you an example even from the church itself in Philippi. Lydia was, was a, a woman who sold purple cloth. And it says in the book of Acts that God opened Lydia's heart to the gospel. So there's Paul. He's by this riverside. He's sharing the gospel. God, I love that. You notice the sovereignty of God there that Luke notes. God was the one who did it. God began the good work in Lydia, opened her heart to the gospel to respond to Paul's message. But then what does Lydia do? She goes, oh, hey, thanks for that. Um, high five, social distance, I guess, if this was, you know, high five, whatever. Uh, see you later. No, she actually gives lodging to Paul and his companions. She gives sacrificially. And no doubt, if you sell purple cloth, this was like Louis Vuitton or Gucci or whatever back in the day. These were like expensive. Purple was an, a, a, a hard process to make purple clothes. You don't just go to like Target. Um, and so she takes the money that she has and she actually contributes. No doubt she probably was the person that Paul's referring to amongst others, contributing to this cause of the gospel. So he's, uh, maybe a balance you could say, if you want to say both, you could say this. Paul is praising God for his work of saving grace in their lives. 
and they are united in their celebration of this life-altering message by giving. Does that make sense? It is the gospel that joins them together, both in heart, salvation, as well as mission. And it isn't true, too. Isn't it true, guys, that no matter what background, ethnicity, nationality, you can have true spiritual fellowship with others that are quite different than you. You can have a joint partnership spiritually, as it were, as well as wanting to reach the community. You know, I was talking with Shane, who preached here last week, and I had a chance to catch up with him, and, and he said, you know, one of the things that I love about my church is that it's so clear on the gospel, and people are there because they want to grow in their faith. They want to sharpen each other. And the times that we have morning tea together, and he said they actually start, they have a bigger building than we do. He said, we just started meeting, and we're literally trying to kind of shove people out the door because they can't stop talking to each other. And listen, not just, oh, how lovely to see you, but like, man, how have you been going the last four months leading your wife and kids? How are you fighting sin in your life? Tell me about your non-Christian mother that you've been sharing the gospel with all of this time. You see the difference? It's not just, you know, hunky-dory, happy, slappy, whatever. This is actually, and these are people too that Shane, look, he even said, and Shane, if you're watching this, I love you, man. Like, if you, if you heard, like, Shane has a crazy rugged history, right? These aren't people that he naturally connects with. Shane was in and out of prison his, most of his life right? And, and he, he has a, a genuine fellowship with people that are totally different to him from different parts of the country, different parts of the world, who maybe even speak a different language. But there's a true fellowship that he experiences with them because of the gospel, because he has embraced this message that he can be forgiven of his sin you heard him sharing this with Sky. They were doing that Q&A last week. And he's embracing the hope of forgiveness alone because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And he's saying, wow, there's other people that the Lord has done this as well, and I'm having this genuine fellowship with them. I pray that that is the heartbeat of this church. Even when we come back in a few weeks, my prayer is that you guys look for creative ways to say, how are you, did you hear all the little examples that Shane was just, let's, let's follow their church as an example. How are you going? Do not waste your time just chewing the fat, okay? You can do that anywhere in the world. Now, we don't need to, you know, don't be legalistic about that. You know, so oh, Rob said I wasn't supposed to talk about the footy. Be balanced, okay? But, but don't waste your time sitting around here, oh, how are you in it? But, but think about, look, this is a sinful world. We haven't seen each other for four months. This is, we, we have to, I want to have true fellowship with you guys. So, Paul's prayer for joy here, it's marked for emphasis. In verse 6, he elaborates on this theme. You see that there? In other words, this present participation, notice this, this present participation right now that Paul experiences grounds Paul's confidence for the future, which is the second point about perseverance now. It's fascinating how he 
phrases verse 6. I don't want you to miss it. Chapter 1, verse 6. He writes in such a way as to slow things down to grab our attention. He states, and I am sure of this or convinced of this same thing. It's a way of saying, hey, don't miss what I'm about to say. Listen to this. Guess what? Almost kind of like a, a drum roll. And I am sure of this. Well, what is this? He doesn't have to write it this way. Do you notice the very first part of that verse 6? He didn't have to write it that way. But he, he is delaying his point for importance. In other words, he wrote this sentence in such a manner to refer to something absolutely vital. That being the assurance that God, the author and originator of our salvation, will be faithful to complete the work he started. Such an encouraging text, isn't it? Such an encouraging truth. Look what he says. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul's confidence has very little to do with him and everything to do with God. They didn't convert or save themselves. God did. They won't complete their own salvation. God will. This is really, it's, it's corporate. He's writing to a church, right? Paul is in prison, but he has confidence that Christ is still building his church. And it's individual as well, right? I mean, perhaps some of you are wondering if maybe, okay, well, this is individual. This is really encouraging. And it is. But then I, I, it'd be, I think it'd be worthwhile here, friend, to say, does this verse apply to me? Okay? Does this verse apply to me? Well, let me ask you a few questions to help assess that. Ask yourself this. Because you can grab this verse and sort of, you can slap it on, a, on your fridge or whatever and say, well, this is my life verse. And it's a marvelous verse. But if this verse applies to you, ask yourself these questions. Do I have a present trust in Christ for salvation? Because that's, remember, that's who he's writing to. Am I presently trusting in Jesus alone for salvation? Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in my life. What do, what do I mean by that? Turning away from sin, enjoying God as your greatest treasure. And do I see a long-term pattern of growth in my life? If you have turned to Christ in repentance and faith, if you're currently trusting in Jesus alone for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life, then be assured, friend, if that is true, that God's hand is upon your eternal destiny from beginning to end, and nothing can snatch you from his sovereign hand. And look what he says. Look at, verse, look at verse 6 again. From beginning to end, salvation is totally God's work. Did you see that? He later says in chapter 1, verse 29, it has been granted to you not only to believe, it's a gift in 2.12, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Now, is this just Paul's idea of this idea that if, if God started something, he's, he's not going to leave it, you know, half done? 
Isn't that annoying? Can I just throw in a quick rant here? Isn't that annoying when you hire a chippy and they do half the job? Ooh. Anyway, that's not the case with God. What God starts, he completes. Jesus himself is confident about this as well. And John, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Do you hear the difference there? My sheep, if you're sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Did you hear that? My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Do you find that encouraging? Look, do you know how many times I would have lost my salvation and gone off the rails in like the last like 15, 17 years since been a Christian? All it takes is a hard trial and I'm like, stuff it, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm done. But God has kept me and anchored me in his grace. He will complete. Do that all the way to the end. I, uh, I tend to struggle with washing dishes after dinner. And I usually, and if you've been over my house, you've seen this. I, I had this horrible habit of just ch doing what I'm doing now and just chatting. And I take a dish towel and I sort of, you know, I clean about half of them and I get distracted with something else and I put on a podcast and... And then my poor wife, for like the last almost 15 years coming this July, has walked down to the kitchen and lo and behold, there are dirty dishes in the sink because I'm, I'm yeah, I struggle. And sometimes she'll write me in a nice way. She'll write me a note and she'll say, please, you know, make sure you do, you know, blah, blah, blah. Here's a honeydew list. And, and she'll say, please, you know, make sure you do the dishes and finish the job <laughs> it's like, because Sometimes I struggle with finishing the job. But God is not like that. Especially when it comes to something as serious as our eternal destiny. God completes what he begins. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And I don't know about you, but I find that super encouraging because people naturally lack perseverance, don't we? Men and women start things and drop them all the time. People spit the dummy in relationships all the time, don't they? People change their minds daily. We are too weak, too changeable, and fickle. But listen, ultimately, when it comes to finishing the race, friend, your stamina, your ability, your giftedness, your determination, your strength, those are not the final measure of whether you'll finish the race the unbreakable promise and the unstoppable power of God is. Rest in that. You, if it were biblical, because it's not, you cannot lose, uh, can you see how clearly here? How could you lose your salvation amongst this and other passages? But guess what? You, as well as me, I would have lost my salvation the next day after I became a Christian or the next month or the next year. And if, and if you think, no, I wouldn't, you just don't know yourself. Come have coffee with me and I'll explain why you would have, even in the two years I've been here. We, but God will hold us fast, right? As the song says, for my life, 
he bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. I could never keep my own, right? Through this life of fearful paths, for my love is often cold, it talks about, but Christ must hold me fast, and he will. He will, all the way to the end. We have the promise here in Philippians. I hope and I pray that that's encouraging to you, friend. And you can thank God when you feel like, you know, gosh, I would have gone off the rails. That's true. And you can say, thank you, Jesus. My salvation is, is just as much relevant now. I need, I need the gospel just as much today, this very moment, as I did the very first day I trusted in Jesus for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life. And I'll need it tomorrow. And I'll need it in 30 years from now. And I'll need it till I breathe my very last on this earth. Praise be to God. Salvation is completely of him from beginning to end. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we are unworthy, and we would have gone off the rails. We would have jettisoned our faith ages ago had you not anchored us and held us fast. We thank you that you who began a good work in us will carry it to completion the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray for those that have been coming to this church for years, that, Lord, they're anchoring their faith in something false, something that's uh, in, in relationships here, that this is sort of a, a social club, this is a place where they just feel accepted, this is sort of a refuge for them. Help them to see the folly of that, and all of that dries up in the end. Lord, they will face you in judgment and in wrath unless they turn to you. Lord, you offer forgiveness of their sins if they will turn. So, Lord, we pray that you would do that good work on them. Grant them a genuine faith in you. And we pray that this church would be marked by we, Lord, that we would be a compelling community, one that has genuine gospel fellowship. Lord, give us uh, patience with each other as we strive towards that end. Help us to love people that we otherwise wouldn't, but because we're now new creations in Christ, we can. Lord, I'll cause us to be bold in the way that we can challenge one another. And Lord, may we never settle for just cheap imitation called fellowship, but may we strive after genuine gospel fellowship. And we ask this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Sky's gonna come up here and give us a benediction. Can't wait to see y'all in just a few weeks' time. That is the 5th of July. So, and let's have that gospel fellowship. Amen.